Listener Production. Ali Walker is a best-selling author, lecturer and researcher. Ali's work focuses on the question, what conditions and systems lead to personal and social flourishing? Ali says, I believe that our lives are punctuated by the moments when our hearts swell. Instead of seeing happiness in the future, we can focus on awareness in each moment. What follows is a conversation about mindfulness, how to turn off those negative thought patterns and living consciously. What it means to get conscious is to reflect on these automatic programs we have in our brain to think in a certain way and to make different choices that will lead us in a different direction. So in each moment, we're choosing our thoughts. We know that thoughts are just stories that we tell ourselves. And those stories can change based on our conscious awareness of them. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Ali Walker is author of the books Get Conscious and Collective Consciousness and Gender. Ali is deeply passionate about human flourishing. From self-awareness and education to governance and human rights, she is on a mission to discover what lights people up and what transforms people from being unconsciously conditioned to living consciously. I started by asking Ali, why is it so hard for people to find consistent happiness in their lives? Well, it's interesting. I think what we've been told about happiness isn't correct. And that's why we get it so wrong or we feel like we're getting it so wrong. If you think about what we've been told about happiness, it's sold as something in the future. So my ideal weight or my ideal income or when I'm on holidays or when I'm married or when I have children or when my children have left home. And so we're always aspiring to happiness. So we're not really conditioned to notice it when it's happening in the moment. But if you think about the truth of happiness, which we now know from neuroscience, the reality is that happiness is very, very different from something in the future. And in fact, when we think it's something in the future, it's more like trying to chase the horizon. So trying to get to the edge of the world, we know that now doesn't exist. Happiness is in fact our experience of each moment. It's a choice that we make about how conscious we're being in our lives. And so I think that's the real myth of happiness that gets us into trouble, that we think it's something that we're working towards when in fact it's a choice we make in each moment. And there's actually a difference between happiness and joy, isn't there? Yeah, so joy is one of those peak experiences, the little punctuation notes of our lives. So happiness is a general sense of being content and comfortable and at peace with your entire spectrum of emotional experience. Joy is one of the extremes of that emotional experience. So if you think of the entire emotional spectrum, on one end, you might have despair. On the other end, you might have joy. And being comfortable with that entire spectrum, understanding that that spectrum is is transient and will constantly move up and down the spectrum a little bit like a piano. So we're constantly just moving up and down. And happiness is being comfortable with that. 
happiness is noticing the fact that, oh, yesterday I felt really negative about this and today I'm a bit more curious and a bit more open to what might happen and tomorrow I might feel joy. So I think that's the difference. Joy is one of those intense emotions that we experience on the spectrum, whereas happiness is our comfort with the entire emotional spectrum. And how do we try and feel happiness from moment to moment? So what I say in my book, which is called Get Conscious, is that in each moment we have four choices, how to think, how to feel, how to sense and how to act. And so getting conscious is all about being aware of the choices that we're making. So for example, with our thoughts, we know now that a high proportion of our thoughts every single day are just on repeat from yesterday and the day before and the day before that. So we're quite routine creatures. And what it means to get conscious is to reflect on these automatic programs we have in our brain to think in a certain way and to make different choices that will lead us in a different direction. So in each moment, we're choosing our thoughts. We know that thoughts are just stories that we tell ourselves and those stories can change based on our conscious awareness of them. So I'll give an example of what I give in the book. We can have a thought of, oh, I need to lose weight. I hate my body. That can be one thought or we can twist it around, have conscious awareness of that and say, I really want to be healthy or I love the fact that I can walk or I'm so grateful for my vitality and I can't wait to go for a walk this afternoon. So even though they're around the same theme, we can choose different thoughts that give us a different brain experience. You know, we can do that with every area of our lives. We can do that with our body, with our health, with our work, with our relationships. It is an interesting one because I think sometimes people get stuck in the moment, like they try to be present but then they might think the present is boring. How do we make every day enjoyable? So there's a few things that come to mind when when we're speaking about this. It's so interesting. It's really getting to the heart of the human condition. One of the things that I'm really strong about is that we have to get comfortable with our sense of rock bottom. Now that sounds so pessimistic and weird, but I think when we run from the moment, what we're really doing is we're letting our fears run our lives and there's a real sense of fear. So I think we mask it and we say, oh, it's boring to sit and meditate or it's boring to sit and just do nothing and just reflect and just breathe. But boredom is a real mask emotion for a fear of what might come up if I sit with myself. So if I'm sitting and reflecting on my life, all of these things that it's almost like they've been in the basement of our emotional experience and we've gone, oh, that's awkward or that's embarrassing or that's uncomfortable. I'm just going to put that to one side. When we sit with ourselves in the moment, those sorts of things can come up a little bit and it can be really uncomfortable. And this is the truth of getting conscious because sometimes it's portrayed as drinking a green smoothie and making better food or lifestyle choices. And that's one side of it. But often that is the the surface superficial side. The real guts, gutsy work of getting conscious is being able to sit with uncomfortable emotions. Because what happens is when we take the time and the presence and the self-love to sit with ourselves and we're just curious about what comes up, we don't try to escape from it or run from it. We just love ourselves through the process those unfelt emotions start to transform and they become something else. And then we start to feel lighter. So- Hold on, how do they transform? 
So if you're sitting with an uncomfortable emotion and it starts coming up and you have this incredibly uncomfortable feeling around it, even knowing this stuff, I, on a weekly basis, have to practice. But just, you know, different things trigger us throughout our lives and and so we need to have those practices in place. But what I mean by they transform is that if you sit with an emotion and it's a really uncomfortable feeling... If you stay with that rather than trying to cover it up, because we've got so many great and artful ways to run away from those things. Yeah. If you sit with it, that extreme discomfort after time, if you shift your attitude towards it and say, okay, well, I'm not going to run from this. I'm going to be curious about it and maybe start to almost enter some kind of dialogue with it without being, you know, odd, but sitting there, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. What's this about? When you start changing the quality of your attention to that experience, that emotion, it starts to change. So it stops being as uncomfortable and it might then change into, oh, well, actually it's, it's more of a message for me now. It's more of a teacher. So it's gone from being an extremely uncomfortable trigger that made me want to run from myself and from it and from the moment. And now it's become something that's teaching me something really interesting about my life. And when you do that often enough, you start realizing that your emotions are just messengers. They're not there to make you feel bad. And unfortunately, in our culture, we don't really have that emotional literacy and education around it. We're just kind of learning from the people who've come before us. And it's only now with neuroscience disrupting so many of our ideas about the brain and about happiness that we understand how we work. And so this stuff is just incredibly life-changing to be able to sit with our emotions and watch them transform. And then we start to lighten up. Like that's really what it means to Mm. lighten up, to experience our unfelt emotions and then release them. And then suddenly life becomes a totally different ballgame. We're more open, we're more expanded, we're more excited and optimistic. We can be more present for others because the experience we have with ourselves, we just project that onto our relationships with others. So if we are unable to sit with our own uncomfortable emotions, then how on earth are we going to be with someone else in their discomfort? You know, it's a habit that we extend to our relationships. So the quality of attention and awareness and presence and love that we can extend to ourselves then becomes a gift to others because we can also sit with them in their discomfort. So say, for example, you didn't get the job that you wanted to get and you started thinking about it, you know, your mind's racing left, right and centre and you're getting really upset. And then it probably starts to stir things in your past where maybe you felt that you weren't good enough. How would you turn your mind around from that? Yeah, so not pathologizing the response, not thinking that there's something wrong with you. It can be really helpful to have scripts of self-love in our head. So saying things like, this is completely normal, this happens to everybody, Um, it's not a nice feeling, but tomorrow it will be okay and I will find another job. And what I often do in that situation is I try to recall times in my life where I missed out on something and then shortly after that or a year later, something happened that could not have happened but for me missing out on that opportunity Mm. that was better. It's always the way, isn't it? Always the way. But I think ultimately it comes down to looking at this, you know, thread through your life and seeing that there has to be some kind of path there. And I often just will say to myself, it's just not meant for me. So I think a lot of self-talk is important there. And this is what I talk about in the book. Acknowledging the difference between feeling and thinking. So while we can choose our thoughts, 
we cannot choose our feelings. And in fact, the only thing we can do with feelings is to heal them and honour them. And I think when we talk about a lot of self-development strategies, it's very much just overlaying your experience with a whole lot of positive affirmations. You know, like, yay, it'll be great. And this, I think sometimes when we do that, if we're not ready, it can minimise the emotional experience. We've spoken about that a bit um, in this series and how you can kind of say positive emotions, but if you're not feeling what you're saying, it's not really going to make much of a difference. Yeah. Start with the compassion and the gentleness and acknowledging the feeling, acknowledging that it is healthy and normal to feel like that, and then moving into the story you're going to tell yourself about the experience because they're two completely different experiences in the brain. One is an experience of rejection. And even I would remind myself that when you are rejected from something, the part of our brain associated with emotional rejection is exactly the same part that is triggered when we experience physical pain. Mm. So it is completely normal to experience pain as a result of rejection or being isolated, which is exactly what's happened if someone hasn't gotten a job. And so then you say, yes, this is a completely normal response to this. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling rejected. And then a lot of tenderness around that emotional experience and healing that. And then, okay, what's the story I'm going to tell about this experience? The story I'm going to tell is that there is something better for me around the corner. You speak a bit about awareness and mindfulness in the book. Is that different to being conscious? Yeah, so conscious awareness is with a view to bringing a new perspective to your thoughts. So, for example, with the I didn't get the job scenario, conscious awareness would be sorting through and saying, okay, well, what's the story I'm telling here? Where does that come from? Okay, that's coming from that old thought pattern from my childhood. How can I change that? What is a better story here that's going to help me? That's, that's an example of bringing conscious awareness to an experience. Mindfulness is a non-judgmental mental state that we can bring to each moment. So in mindfulness, it's more about watching our thoughts as though you're watching a movie screen and not becoming attached. If you imagine lying down on the grass and looking up at the clouds and watching each shape change and watching the clouds move in the wind, that's a little bit like mindfulness applied to our brain. So in applying mindfulness to the experience of not getting a job, it would be watching the thoughts come up, watching the feelings come up, not becoming attached to those feelings, being curious about them, releasing them, letting them go. I guess it's a little bit less investigative and interventionist than conscious awareness. How do you not become attached to a thought? It's really difficult. <laughs> really, it really sounds difficult. It. Uh, so find a thought that you're not triggered by or attached to, like I am a banana. Yeah. We're not attached to that because we don't have any evidence for it. We don't believe it. But, you know, find a thought that is a little bit more confronting, like something about your child, you know, that makes you feel really vulnerable. My child is at school and I hope they make friends. Suddenly we're attached, right? And being attached to a thought never helped anyone, ever. It's not the answer. It's not going to lead to a positive outcome. And that's why I called the book Get Conscious, How to Stop Overthinking and Come Alive. Because when we get attached to thoughts, what happens? They create other thoughts. 
and then they create other thoughts and then there's no end. It's well, just that's they, it. They proliferate. So what we need to do is find ways to turn the volume down on the thoughts and mindfulness and meditation and conscious awareness are the best ways, the best known ways we have to do that. Because I think a lot of the time when you do have a negative thought and if you're in this kind of realm of trying to make your thoughts positive, even if you are, it's very hard to constantly have them positive the whole time. A friend of Mm. mine did say, you know, you're watching your thoughts to the day that you die. But it's about not beating yourself up when you do go on that trail of having those negative thoughts. That's kind of the thing that, that can be very hard for a lot of people. Definitely. And I'll give an example from my own life. I would have an uncomfortable triggered experience, not on a daily basis, but definitely on a weekly basis. And who knows why? It's just life. You know, something will happen and I'll think, and I feel, yeah, the familiar feeling. And so what it's about doing is just not running from that, not complaining about it and actually sitting down. And my husband now knows that if I'm sitting down with my eyes shut, he's like, okay, kids, just give her a minute. Um, You know, I just need five minutes. And I use this incredible practice called focusing. I talk about that in the book. And it was something that came from the research of a psychotherapist and psychologist called Eugene Gendlin from the 1970s. His research question was, why do some people go through therapy and have amazing life-changing outcomes, whereas other people have therapy and are no different, not Mm. changed at all. And so that was his research question. And he came up with the answer, which was the people who have the life-changing outcomes are the ones who are able to create an intuitive connection with themselves. Now, in my language, I would say they're the ones that were able to achieve conscious awareness, that they're the ones that are able to unpack their thoughts and and realise that they're being triggered. And, And so... What he did was he created a step-by-step process for people to be able to look at their thoughts and I guess approach them from a different perspective and that's focusing and that's what I use now if I'm ever uncomfortable or sitting with an uncomfortable emotion. So would you like me to go through the process? That would be fabulous. Of of focusing, yeah. So you start off with the source of the discomfort. For example, say using the job example, I didn't get the job, you would start off with that. Whatever is on your mind that's triggering you and making you feel uncomfortable, start with that. So use that as the source. The next step is to locate that in your body. So where is this feeling showing up in my body? Where is this discomfort? If I'm not feeling inspired at the moment, where do I feel that in my body? And every single person will have a different response to that. So some people might say, I can feel it like a lump in my throat. I can feel it like a pain in my neck. I can feel it like butterflies in my stomach. I can feel it like a brick on my lower back. Everyone will have a different, what's called a felt sense and everybody will be different. Once you have your felt sense, really get clear on it and just follow that. Then once you're very clear and it's stayed for a while, you do something that's completely revolutionary. You ask the felt sense, what it's like from its point of view. What you're doing in asking that question is that you're identifying the fact that this thing that you're, you're seeing as being outside of you is actually inside you. It's part of your consciousness. It's part of your conscious awareness. So in that experience of focusing, going through all those steps, and I would do this on a weekly basis, yeah. what you've done is you've taken an experience of extreme discomfort in the moment and you've transformed it into something that's a teacher for you and a lesson and a messenger rather than something that you're trying to run away from. 
And my great belief from the research and from my own life experience is that if we can get into a pattern of transforming uncomfortable emotions into messengers for us, then that's when we start to live the lives that we all dream of, that we all want. You talk in the book a lot about being in the flow and surrendering. Mm. How do we get into that state? So you're talking to a control freak from way back and, you know, thinking that I I know what's best and I, I know how everything should play out. And it's just, it's such a myth. It's the same as the happiness myth that if I'm in control, then everything will be fine. Mm. And I think surrendering and understanding that there's this universal flow is such another rebellious act that can have a revolutionary effect on us. Realistically, a lot of the time we try to take control over the minutiae of life. And I think it's a much better life experience for all of us if we just take a breath And when we resist that and we try to enforce our own plan, we close ourselves off from other people. I suppose it is that creation from the unknown that a lot of the spiritual teachers talk about. You know, when we don't control things, the outcome comes a lot faster. If you think about the things that go part and parcel with wanting to be in control, it's also micromanaging. It's also overworking to try to get things perfect. It's also thinking that we're responsible for everything. It's also hypervigilance, all of these things that actually don't make us better at relationships. Tell me, what's your morning routine? What I try to do is practice a meditation style called Keely meditation before I get out of bed. And Keely meditation is where you move your awareness slowly over five minutes from the top of your head down to your heart center. And so you just imagine that, you just visualise that awareness as a process moving through your brain and down your face and then through your chest and stopping in your heart and then you rest in your heart for a couple of minutes. So do that. Or if I've woken up feeling off or weird, I'll practice focusing before I even get out of bed just so I make sure I'm balanced when I get out of bed and then I make my bed. Also going outside is important. So just trying to do the grounding, you know, going out in the the morning sun, putting your feet on the grass and be connected to sunlight and the earth. That's really important. What is the key to happiness? For me, conscious awareness, hands down conscious awareness. Uh, Because when you practice conscious awareness, you realise that everything that's going on in your head is going to be reflected in your outside experience. So if you get that right, if you can get inside uh, the machine and practice conscious awareness on your own brain, then it will transform everything about what you experience in the outside world. If you don't do that, if you just run on the unconscious programs that you have from your genetics and childhood, it's almost like feeling like you're living in a pinball machine. And we abdicate responsibility then for our happiness onto the outside world and onto other people. And if we reclaim responsibility for our happiness... What that looks like is conscious awareness, mindfulness, and meditation. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness to me is being conscious to the point that we are able to take the focus off ourselves and onto our connection with others. So being comfortable enough in our own experience and our own heart, our own mind, that we're able to take the focus off that 
experience and put the focus where it should be on the connections that we have with other people because that is the richness of life. Ali Walker, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolic and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search A Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.